gentlemen, boys and girls, die and time is here. That's right, it's Friday the 13th Part 7, A New Blood on Kill by Kill. and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from Camp Crystal Lake, the official one. We, we forgot what the old fucking name is. That was so long ago, we can hardly remember anything about it. And this is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We will be unpacking all the gory details of Friday the 13th, Part 7, A New Blood, in the hopes that a counselor's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes we can make about them, and as always, the only person that I invite along to maybe kill off my dad psychically is the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Well, Patrick, I have a feeling that this is going to be a great couple of episodes. My senses <laughs> tell me that we're going to have a lot of fun. The psychic powers I used to kill my dad are predicting that this will be our best run yet. You can feel them as if they're buried under the lake, uh, held to the bottom of it by a heavy chain and a rock, perhaps? My excitement for this is just bubbling to the surface like a long dead serial killer <laughs> brought back to- I'm wearing to my shitty skeleton gloves in honor, too. <laughs> just brought back to life by a, a teenager with telekinetic abilities. That's right. We are into new blood territory, people, and boy, I could not have asked anyone better for this particular melodramatic moment in cinema history than our special guest today. He is an author of the spectacular new novel that you must pick up right now, How to Survive a Summer, the one and only Nicholas White. How are you doing, sir? Good, good. I'm so excited to be here. I have been doing my homework. I have got me a little cheat sheet here. I've got Wikipedia on my page. I am ready to go. Excellent. That's fantastic news. I always love a prepared guest. Now, as we do here every episode, when we have the honor of a special guest, we ask them what their first experience was with the Friday the 13th franchise. Well... Once upon a time, when I was eight years old, I got the chicken pox, mm-hmm. and no babysitter would babysit me because I was highly contagious, and so my mom had to take off work to babysit me for a week as mm-hmm. I uh, ran fever and uh, itched my scabs, and during that time, we, for some reason, I don't know why, she rented Friday the 13th movies, and we just went through and watched all of them, uh, well, up to part eight, I think which was out at the time. And yeah, we started with part one. She had already seen them and we watched them. It was way, should not have been watching them at eight years old, but yeah, it was a crash course in slasher films and I've been hooked ever since. Um, I love the first one. It's perhaps my favorite. I uh, ride or die for Mrs. Voorhees. (laughs) I get it. I Um, really do. Yeah, yeah. And so I I think a part of it has to do with being gay and being closeted and sort of seeing this world of forgive the academic academic term, but like heteronormativity sort of displayed like all this sex and all this sort of like, you know, straight people coupling. And then there's like this outsider stalking them, killing them one by one until you get to the final girl. And if you remember the first one, poor, I think her name, wasn't it Annie? Yes. And Annie, poor Annie, like she and Mrs. Voorhees sort of like resist the gender binary um, in interesting ways. 
And uh, yeah, so yeah, I I love them. Well, I assume that for Mrs. Voorhees, you're referring to her abnormally awesome forearm strength. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Gene Siskel, when he reviewed the uh, movie, he referred to her as uh, dressed like a lumberjack. <laughs> it's a real. And during the episodes where we talked about her, she's wearing this insane sweater that uh, actually I had a version of it that we dressed my kid in for the very first um, photo. Oh and my just God. The, the gap kids had one. And so we showed this, this photo off to uh, some of uh, my wife's family friends. And the first thing she referred to it as is, Oh, I adore this rich boy sweater that you put him in. <laughs> what a rich boy sweater. That's well, what Mrs. Voorhees well, wears on Friday the 13th. What you're talking about, Willis? Well, in, in fairness, Mrs. Voorhees does look like Meredith Baxter Bernie's older sister from Family Ties. <laughs> so. Oh, Meredith Baxter Bernie, where are you now? All I can think of is her eating cake out of a trash can in one of her TV movies. Oh, the Betty she, Broderick series. Yeah. Her Final Fury? Oh, my God. That's mm. a classic. It's good stuff. It's good stuff, people. Watch life, Mark. Anyways, um, yeah. So <laughs> we, the, I when this started to come up, and I I saw your your book starting to bubble up on Twitter. For the well, of course, the first thing that came up like, oh, Friday the Thirteenth, you know, meets a gay conversion camp. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in one thousand percent. Then when I started to you know read into it and contact you, I'm like, oh, you know, this is the perfect movie to have you on for, because I think this is the the moment. Where part six was a monster movie. It was a werewolf, mummy, Frankenstein's monster sort of thing where he just rampages throughout the land. Here, we just dump Jason Voorhees into the middle of a Douglas Cirque 50s era melodrama. And he just exists there. And the two things sort of meet in the middle. I mean, we always talk about how it's Jason meets Carrie. But that doesn't happen until the third act. The first two acts are all mean girl shit oh my and God. That's melodrama. Brilliant. And bad and, news and crews. Cre- <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and, and a creep, very creepy psychiatrist who evidently has no other patients. No. And or- loves to pop his collar? <laughs> he loves to change his clothes. He changes three times in the 50 minutes that we're covering under this episode of Kill by Kill. It's it's a lot to change one's costume, and yet his his pants remain ever so highly hiked. It sort of feels like they got their clothes from a warehouse sale from the set of Newhart. <laughs> <laughs> like, all these sweaters and cable knit, and I get it, I love it, but then it's like poor Mrs. Shepard has, like, you know, she just sort of, like, got the curtains from the bed and breakfast and just tied them on. <laughs> I mean, I have a lot. I mean, we'll get there, but I have a lot to say about Mrs. Shepard. Well, yeah, let's... I think I think we can. I think we can take just five minutes alone to address her hair. I mean, I just oh, I, I, I have so many went... thoughts, Gina. <laughs> the rat tail. She's got the like the, the Kip Winger mullet. It's just it's it's pretty amazing. She went to the beauty shop and said, "Give me the CC Deville." <laughs> I mean, I said, I was, I think I was telling Patrick this. It's like, what's her face? Tina did a good job by, you know, killing the wife beater of a husband, but then she should have sent Mrs. Shepard to Donna Mills stylist, like stat. (laughs) Cause you can imagine that Mrs. Shepard has Donna Mills on her vision board. Yeah. 
And it's like, you know, honey, like, oh my God, I feel so bad for her. And she's so spunky too. (laughs) Oh, her. Now here's the thing with, with Mrs. Shepard is that the, the woman playing her is an actress who spent the vast majority of her career as a voice actor. She has a super distinct voice. And so a lot of the times when she's been on screen, she is giving life to a cartoon chipmunk. <laughs> and so there are several times in this film where you're like, I know Tina's not listening to her mom right now, but would you? <laughs> and uh, the other half of this sort of weird family dynamic before we get into Tina's real dad is Tina's doctor dad. <laughs> Bad News Cruise, played Cruise. by Terry fucking Kaiser, people. Bernie Lomax. Who... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He he specialized in playing cinematic assholes. If anyone complains to you, you know, via social media or in, in an interview that you read and they go, I feel like I'm being typecast. <laughs> Send them the IMDB of Terry fucking Cruise. <laughs> And go, not not the African-American guy who's on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. This guy, Terry Kaiser, excuse me. Uh, you also <laughs> sent him the also sent him an IMDb from Terry Crews. He overcame it. Why can't you? These two <laughs> people have the same first name, look very different from one another, have very different careers. Still, they persisted. Yeah, I, I, he is incapable. Is he? He's still alive, right? He, but he is incapable of playing a character that isn't at least slightly sleazy. If I had a teenage daughter and this was my daughter's psychiatrist, I'd be like, yeah, you know what? I, I need a reassignment. I, I right. don't think yeah. this is going to, to, to work out. Also, if you look at a current picture of him, which I think I saw on IMDb, he looks like he's had a fair bit of plastic surgery. So he's a man of a certain age, though. Yeah, yeah but it's I not like he, he was, it's not like he's ever been known for his, you know, rugged good look or anything like that oh no if you if he were flying today he would definitely be paying at least 75 to 100 dollars for the amount of bags under his eyes <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i'm sorry that's very rude that is terribly rude but it's also a funny joke about his appearance and i couldn't give it up Sometimes you just got to go with it. Sometimes you just got to take the ball or the bags that are under somebody's eyes. And also, run. sidebar for just a second. I mm-hmm. like how he's supposed to be like this cool, like overaged yuppie. Meanwhile, poor little Maddie is like treated like she's the ugliest thing in the world. Um, yeah. Little, little like Natalie's younger sister from the Facts of Life. Like <laughs> it's just like. And I've, I've sort of, I almost thought about like composing a persona poem in the voice of Maddie for this episode. <laughs> and, and I've imagined that if Maddie has a last name, it's probably Dumplin. Can't you imagine like little Maddie Dumplin? Oh, no, no. I mean, it's right, but it's very wrong, but it's also very right. Okay, let's get into this movie. Now, we, we're going to start here with something we haven't seen in a little while, and that is a saga cell. Uh, the definition yeah. of a saga cell for newbies to the uh, Friday the 13th uh, franchise is when you have a whole litany of clips that you show from previous movies, and that will tell you the backstory while, I don't know, who's telling us this story? Some hobo they they found yeah. on the side of the road? This is this is, a, this is a This is a... A legend has it voiceover, which no legend doesn't have it. This actually all happened. Yeah, and 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 this is the thing that aggravated me so much about 
part six is it couldn't have taken place any more any longer than than 10 years before the after the events of part five but everybody's acting oh this is just this is just some story the, the locals told their kids to so you know to, to so they make them behave it's like no this actually happened you can look this up you know you can you you can find this in 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 you know newspaper archives you could snorkel and see the man at the right. bottom of the fucking lake. Yeah, and it's like it's like legend has it that he's still out there. Yeah, no, he is still out there. We know this because we saw this in the last movie, and and I I'm not sure why they they turn it into well, it, you know, maybe it didn't actually happen. Maybe this is just a campfire story. You know, six other movies have told us this already happened. Well, I think they really got stuck on, and it should be noted that all of the clips they show are from two movies and two movies only. Part two and part four. I'm not particularly sure why that. Oh, I'm sorry. And part six. So right. all the evens are in and all the odds are out. You got, to see, Mar- you, you got to see Mark tumbling down that those stairs in that wheelchair. Dear God. I, was, I, I was satisfied. Oh, beautiful, beautiful Mark. Do you think they were trying to erase Mrs. Voorhees? I mean, I get why they would want to erase part five. I mean, that's like, you know, understood. But like they were wanting to just like focus it on Jason. I I don't know. Maybe that's what they had the film of lying around. (laughs) I, I don't know that there's a lot of thought put into it, but they definitely wanted to focus on making sure the audience who may not have watched the previous six movies understood that there's a reason why Jason is, you know, tagged to the bottom of a lake with a rock. That I understand. But why they chose to make it sound like, and he's still there, and you'd never know it. It's like, yeah, they'd fucking know it. And, and then later on, when we really get into this movie after the terrible opening credits music, <laughs> which the, we've, we've gotten on the the franchise's case about a lot of things but the music has never been truly bad this opening sequence has some of the worst symphonic fart noises i've ever heard in my entire life well it just sounds like a, a gassy orchestra well it also seems like they were they were trying to go for 1987's version of slickness like they've sort of moved beyond the titles like exploding and they wanted hockey masks to sort of glow with the light and it should be noted that fred mullen is really doing the vast majority of the music here this isn't manfredi although his themes are being used here's just i don't know they're trying to do some sort of version of a john carpenter baseline i don't get it it's not great so once we're we're, we're past all that we've had the eerie glow explosion <laughs> the jason mask which again so many title explosions the movie the movies are not about explosions people it's really a blood-based thing but okay fine so now we've fall forward in time how many years we'll never know because gone is camp forest grain it's it's just erased from history uh jason's still there i assume he hasn't been pushed by the tides of a lake (laughs) and uh we are now in front of a cabin with a very tall dock and what real estate agent managed to sell off this piece of land say this is where you could build a family cabin yes 
Many, many, many people have died here. The sheriff was folded in half right over there. <laughs> yeah. You I, get this laying cheap. That's what, I, that was my question about this in the timeline because I felt so, so I felt like it had to be at least 10 years, right? Little Tina least. had to grow up. And then also the decomposure of the, of the suit. Like it has pleats when we first see it, when she's a little girl, <laughs> the khakis, <laughs> and they lose the pleats, and then Jason is now wearing like skull gloves, <laughs> and his spine is exposed. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the most implausible thing about these movies at this point is that people still go camping at this this lake. People still build homes with small children and live there. I I mean, there there are other lakes you can live around. There are other idyllic. You know, country getaways you can you can find for yourself and your your friends and lovers and children but yeah i think it, no, it, this is it. it it's the only it's in all of the in all of the uh, eastern seaboard this is the only only bucolic sea uh, setting for camping and or living yeah it's jersey oh also i forgot to i forgot to mention did you guys the narrator who narrated the opening is crazy ralph from part one and part two Oh, is it? Yeah, Walt. Uh, so apparently, communicating through a Ouija board. I guess. Walt, yeah. Walt Gorney, <laughs> according to my, according to the Amazon page that I was watching it on. So someone went to the window that he was peeping and perving on people through, <laughs> and through, as Gina suggested, a Ouija board got him to <laughs> tell this tale. Tell us a and story, crazy Ralph. Please step off your bicycle that you have such amazing posture while riding and tell us the tale of Jason Voorhees. Oh, crazy Ralph. You watch so many people fuck and they didn't know about it. (laughs) Tough job. Somebody's got to do it, though. (laughs) It really is a tough job. No one ever filled that job. I mean, they tried with that one guy in part three, but all he would do is pick up random body parts and and show them to people. That's not the same. I want someone in town who can watch me fuck through a window. It's not the same. It's really not. (laughs) They're entirely two different job descriptions. So we open on everyone's favorite Friday the 13th subject, domestic abuse time and time again we we come back to it actually we've never talked about it it's never been a thing until right now now it is yeah i was looking at the timeline of when this movie was made and it was made sort of like in the hate 1987 sort of three years after sort of the first big tv movie was made about domestic violence the burning bed with uh, mm. farrah fawcett and so sure. i feel like that was sort of like in the air at the time they wanted to know they were taking things seriously yeah, this isn't just any old slasher movie. This talks about real actual problems that people experience. It goes back to the Douglas Sirk thing, which I think is like brilliant. This is like trying to be like melodrama, Jason. Yeah. He's not the problem. He's, He's the, the solution. symptom of the problem. <laughs> He's the solution. <laughs> I think you're thinking about Cobra, yeah. where crime is a pro- is a disease, and he's a solution. Yeah. Here, just the 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 whole place has a death curse, as Crazy Ralph so puts it in the saga, in the saga cell, and as a result, bad things happen anywhere near this lake, even when Jason's not involved. So, be, just because Jason's nearby, his evil seeps out. Dude drinks a lot, apparently. When people tell him to stop drinking. He starts a slapping. Mm-hmm. We're not making fun of domestic abuse. The movie has made us talk about but it. But then he like wants to invite Tina in the room. Is that yeah. right? He's like, yeah. bring her in here. It's like, 
Daddy Shepard is just like a loose cannon. I am so pleased he dies. The world's better off without him, but obviously he he left this family with serious psychic scars i mean his wife will never be able to dress the same apparently <laughs> and she and keeps getting the same perm over and over <laughs> i mean it hasn't yeah. a- it hasn't aged her much she she looks good for you know 10 years later and and you know her her husband dying before her very eyes yes uh, at her well i can't say her daughter's hand her daughter's thought torpedo is that her, her daughter's really wooden acting <laughs> when she has the thought in her head i want you to die and and looks at it it's like she peed in her pants a little bit <laughs> yeah doesn't i want to tell people as as you know you're all as big of fans of horror movies as i am at what point did the widening your eyes thing become a a trope for you know i'm going to do some crazy shit to you with my mind i Very? just yeah maybe i just feel like that's a thing and and i don't I don't know why it's a thing, and it always looks really cheesy to me. I mean, it happens in Carrie, but it works within that right, framework yeah. because, you know, she doesn't overuse it. Whereas in Scanners, they're doing that, I have to put my hands to my head to make it. Maybe <laughs> well, it's a Scanners, Canadian psychic in, thing. In, in Scanners, I kind of like because it looks like it hurts. Which yeah. I which I, I feel is adds an interesting dimension to it. But I'm thinking I think the Fury and which again is Brian De Palma, I think that it was they use it in that. Uh, it's done a lot and when a kid does it, it just sort of looks like oh my god, I forgot it to looks turn it. Like the- she just shit her pants. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. It, it very much looks like it oh my god, I forgot to turn the iron off. Yeah, you're right. It's like whoops, I crapped it's, my pants. But <laughs> she just also she immediately regrets it too. She's like, Daddy, no, but it's like the wave pool is turned on and they can't turn it off because it's a low budget movie. <laughs> and so Daddy Shepherd has to die. She sends out her psychic torpedo. <laughs> which which very much reminds me of special effects that used to happen on the Jaws ride at Universal Studios. Yeah. Something I saw so, so many times as a studio guide. By the way, everyone, if you're wondering how that movie magic works, ropes. <laughs> I ropes. was actually thinking of the studio tour at Walt Disney World where they do s- similar things with the water the, special effects. Yeah, it's a pretty common little trick because it's a it's an air hose and you let it out slowly and that creates the trail and it honestly tells you something happened here and is going over there, but it's it doesn't necessarily come off as as super special in terms of effects. And when Daddy comes to the end of that enormously tall dock. He does this hop. <laughs> Go back and watch it again. Oh my God. He comes to the end of the hang and does a, hey, like he's Beetlejuice. <laughs> he's excited. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Tina. She, you know, I want you to die. Psychic torpedo. And then the the dock starts a rocking, so don't start a knocking. It collapses on top of him. And as a result, no one ever drags the lake looking for his body because everyone's convinced he's still fucking in there, right? Well, I think we are living in a world where people haven't realized that things exist under the water. It's like <laughs> once you go under the water, you're gone. It's like a you go into like a vortex. Well, I, I think mean, this I, is why I, they never found Jason's body to exactly. fucking begin with, because once something goes under the water, like well, it's gone now. Well, it's gone. Yeah. yeah, I think that I think that a lot of the uh, the local constabulatory works under the you know, well. I'll take your word for it. 
(laughs) (laughs) We're very busy at CSI Crystal Lake, and if you tell me someone's dead, I'm just going to take your word for it, man. It's very, very blasé, you know, local police force. Yeah, and also it just sort of, like, reiterates for me sort of a motto that I live by in terms of, like, men like Daddy Shepard, which is never trust a man over 30 who still has bangs. <laughs> that's that's a good that's a good rule of life i can't i cannot disagree with that well i guess i'm trustworthy because i, I, I have unless so you're much a mem- forehead un- right now un- unless you were a member of the ramones and look how that worked out for them <laughs> a lot of cocaine <laughs> a lot of cocaine certain members turned gop for no particular reason oh my god yeah. Newt Gingrich has bangs. I mean, that man is old enough to be my granddaddy, and he still has bangs like he's a little rascal. <laughs> he is the largest rascal ever. Speaking of someone we'd like to put at the bottom of a lake. Sorry, yes. you can edit that out. No. No. That's a statement worth keeping. No, okay. I, I mean, I, I he'll leave it because I described at, after the, the first episode we did after the election as as the, the seeds run brown with diarrhea. So then he'll leave it. <laughs> God. Yeah, he has really, really floppy hair. This is yet another edition of It's So Cold in Crystal Lake in the Summer. Nipply. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that with the with Michael and Jane. Like, oh, it's so cold. It, it's it's like July. Come on, man. And you're in New Jersey. Uh, it's just not cold in the summer in New Jersey. And if you're going to say, like, it's fall or it's early spring, that's fine. But the whole point of these fucking movies is that people go up to cabins when it's the summer. Right. Not because there's a chill in the air. That's a different time of year that you're trying to sell me. That's fine. Just say it's that. But default Friday the 13th is summer acts like it. I'm telling these this two movies that occurred 29 fucking years ago. <laughs> Please You're going to start mythologizing it like Crazy Ralph. <laughs> so, yeah, Daddy dies. And then uh, that's, it's all in her head. And then she, Mom asks, are, are you okay? And <laughs> Tina says, I'm fine. And smiles like, oh, I remember when I killed Dad. <laughs> Deep down, she's really cool with killing Dad. I mean, I think she's playing it up around mom that she misses him, but do you? And I felt like the movie wanted us to like feel like she had some guilt too, but I it just it just felt off to me. Like even like that final scene, you know, when he comes up out of the water to like get Jason, like it just felt it felt like the movie was like, oh yeah, he hit his wife, but he's dead now, so let's like feel guilty about it. Well, I, I feel like what because you know, little girl Tina came off as as like she comes off a little bit kind of like a combination of Damien and Carol Ann. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, or, um, she actually reminded me more than anything else of the little girl from The Brood, which, yeah. you know, and again, um, kind of this empty, you know, empty faced, expressionless, you know, vaguely creepy child that, you know, she's not the villain, but she's a little bit off and you may not want to be left in a room alone with her. I got sort of vibes from those creepy kids from The Village, too. Was that? The Village of the, da- Village Village of the, the Damned. Damned. Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, horror movies love little girls with long blonde hair. I'm, I'm mm. not. I guess because it's supposed to be you know very innocent. I'm like, no, I always get big time creepy vibes whenever I see a child 
with, you know, the, the angelic blonde hair. And and I realize that, that, you know, she's supposed to feel guilty for this. But yeah, I'm like, is she really? Because this probably wasn't the first time, you know, he realized that he spent all his money on a cabin and, you know, where 87 people have gotten murdered, you know, has spent his has spent his retirement fund and has decided he's just going to drink himself into a stupor and 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 angrily smack his wife around for not stopping him from making such a foolish investment. Well, how could she stop anyone? That belt that's so highly hiked on her shorts doesn't allow a lot of freedom of movement. The waistlines, the way the the high waistedness of this movie. I, everyone yeah. is preparing for some sort of flood that never comes. They it's, they definitely they definitely did all of their wardrobe shopping from the 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 Montgomery Ward spring summer catalog. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, her hair is so structured. I want to surf it. It's, you mean <laughs> Tina's hair? Or oh no no, Tina's hair is in it's desperate it, need of some conditioning. Oh yes, um, oh yes, yeah, she's not is, reacting it, it well is, it, to the 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 humidity of the yeah, south. Yeah, uh, that is that is crispy. Yeah, a note on Tina's hair. Uh, Lar Park Lincoln. Yes, she actually gets so much better hair game later in the 80s when she stars in Knott's Landing as Michelle Lee's daughter-in-law. Her hair game just improves so much. They like cut it off a little more and it highlights her bone structure. So I just feel like once she, once her mom dies, she's really allowed to explore all these hidden hair potential that she (laughs) never had because her mom has no style. And for that, she deserves to die. (laughs) Uh, she arrives to the cabin in a pink sweater set. Pink is her with, favorite color. With yeah, with <laughs> with a lace collar. No, she's not eighty six. This is supposedly a teenager ish. Are are we don't know what the ages of any of these people are? Even though a birthday party is fucking involved. Well, I mean, I, I assume Tina's supposed to be maybe eighteen or so. Yeah, because it's uh, she's like you know seven or eight, and then I. Did they say it was 10 years later? Or did I read that it was supposed to be 10 I years later? I read that somewhere. I read that somewhere, too. Yeah, they tell us nothing. Which is, which, yeah, you know, the clothing has remained in stasis, you know, because because <laughs> 10 years, 10 years after the events of part six would have this 1995. So she should be wearing, you know, the, the Doc Martens and flower dress ensemble, which I, I'm not criticizing that that was what oh, I wore honey. then. It, it's what I still wear it's now. A good look. It's a good look. <laughs> yeah, she should be donning a blossom hat. She, she should be really- listening to Lisa Loeb. She should. What What is the uh, holiday that they uh, celebrate in Empire Records? Rex Re- Manning Day. Rex Manning Day. She should be celebrating Rex <laughs> Manning Day. You know, when you have to ask what your punchline is of your co-host, <laughs> it's not that great of a joke. Uh, luckily, Gina knows a lot of shit, so she was able to rescue me, but it doesn't make the joke any funnier when you, you have to ask player. someone else, can you help me with this punchline? I think you need to lead us in, because this is, this is a nice, you know, how the sausages are made moment. <laughs> Speaking of sausage, yes. Um, Kevin, what's his name, is about to come up. He plays Nick. Oh, Nick. Now, everyone bow the fuck down. Because Nick is yet another veteran of Days of Our Lives, people. Yes. I won't hear any bad-mouthing about Nick. Dr. Because when Craig you do Wesley. time on Days, you have a gold star in my book. He, he is, for my money, the studliest guy in all of the Friday the 13th series. And I recommend any 
anybody else out there who found themselves lusting after Nick in his short, short jean shorts to look at his uh, movie ten, about 10 years later called Embrace the Darkness, which was produced by Playboy, which is a softcore pornographic film where he plays a vampire and he seduces women. And it is great. He has, he's like he gone to women seed. women and all the men watching it. Yeah, he's, he's gone to see just enough to still be attractive. <laughs> he has like that 90s goatee. Ooh. So did I. And, <laughs> and he has his shirt off a lot. Like, like you, me. supposedly. But, well, yeah. And, and, Legend and, has it on the podcast. I have my, my shirt off a lot. And, and, and he, and Patrick was an erotic vampire in the 90s. Yes, true. Oh. And, well, it was a night job. My day job, I was a, a studio guy at Universal Studios. Night, erotic vampire. <laughs> you got to take work wherever you can get it. I That's mean. right. I had rent to pay. Listen, mom, it's not how like does, you were supporting how does, me. How does one earn money as an erotic vampire? Carefully. <laughs> it all depends on where you get your fangs, Gina. <laughs> I mean, do you want to go big fang, little fang, <laughs> slender fang? There's Nick a whole has menu involved. <laughs> he does have at least one. And um, he he is washing his Jeep ever so playfully uh, while two women we've never met sunbathe and oh the God. coldest time ever in the middle of New Jersey in the summer. And here they come pulling up in their Delta 88 <laughs> A classic, classic automobile. Uh, one I almost died in in high school. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to tell that story because it's... Is uh, this how you uh, became the erotic vampire? <laughs> no. No. That's a story for another day. It involved days of our lives. Uh, like most erotic vampire stories do. So they pull up and who's right at their front door... But bad news cruise, Terry Kaiser. <laughs> the popped collar. Dr. Bad News is there and he's ready for some immersion therapy where he's going to take Tina to the place she psychically murdered her dad in order to do parlor tricks with matchbooks. Yeah, I, uh, immersion therapy seems to be a, a, again, to get back on the movie tropes t- subject. I don't think this is something that actual psychiatrists do in real life, which is, you know, forcing someone to, to recreate the, the most traumatic event in their lives. I mean, I, I realize there is aversion therapy and there are other kinds of therapies in which, you know, someone is, you know, they talk through the experience, but you're never dragged to say where you saw your mother murdered or, you know, where you were in the car accident that killed your spouse and just forced to relive it where it actually happened over and over and over again. I, I don't think that's actually a, a recommended treatment in, in the, the, uh, I think the APA probably doesn't uh, recommend that. When that little match scene that we get later, I think it's pretty clear that that the doctor, Mr. Bad News Cruz, wants to, like, utilize Tina's power and create a band of (laughs) X-Men. Or he works for, or he works for the shop from uh, various Stephen King movies. Oh yeah, yeah. like Firestarter. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like because there was there was I was thinking of the George C. Scott character, but then there was Martin Sheen's character 
And then there was a, another, there was a psychiatrist and they were all trying to get her to get her, make her mad and make her, you know, do this thing with her mind because, you know, this, they were going to somehow harness this power, which I've never been able to figure out how also, that's going to work. You know, also, how, how, yeah. And, and also too, like Tina uses her telekinetic powers in the lamest ways possible in this movie. She like, uses them through, she... through tantrums. Yeah. <laughs> she, she basically, these are psychic foot stomps. That's exactly what to. they are. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what they are. And I'm, and I'm thinking, what does he plan to do with this? Does he plan to put her on television? You know, have her you know, do a reality show where she just does like these weird little party tricks? I, I just, you know, it's, yeah, you're definitely right that he is clearly aiming to, to profit from this somehow. But I'll be darned if I could figure out his his plan, how he's how he's going to make this you know, into a money-making venture for himself. He wants to book her on late 80s Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, if he's got a plan, he's not sharing it. And here's the thing. I don't think he has a fucking plan. He's trying to do this in front of a camera so that he can have proof. But you could have done that anywhere. And he yeah. he's, he both reacts like, oh, my God, it is actually happening. But why would you drag her up there unless you already knew she could do it? Right. I, my favorite moment in this movie is also the most boggling because she does her little, you know, she tries to move the matchbook. She can't do it. He yells at her. She finally gets mad enough that she moves it. And then later it bursts into flames. She walks out of the room. He's standing there and says to nobody in the room, I rest my case. Mm-hmm. What was his case? <laughs> The, I, I, don't, I don't recall bad him. news cruise versus matchbook i, I, don't, I don't i don't recall him making a case for anything it's like he had a flashback from a guest appearance on la law <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like sir who are you talking to yeah i feel like there was you know another a couple lines of dialogue that they that they edited out but thought that you know him looking sort of off into the middle distance you know vaguely sinister and then saying i rest my case all right let's leave that that's kind of cool. We'll, we'll, we'll just cut out the 45 seconds or so of dialogue before that. It's yeah. a side on where he reveals his evil plan. <laughs> he, literally has a no fold, he literally has a folder that says evil plan on it. He would. <laughs> I just and imagine when he's driving to the cabin up there, he's listening to a lot of Richard Marks. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like that's his idol. And that's all we Slow really need to know about him. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Uh, in the scene, it should be noted, they're wearing completely different clothes for no particular <laughs> reason, which means it was supposed to be a different day. Uh, then they change their minds later on. Also, this is where Tina becomes insta-Southern for no particular reason. Uh, I don't know if Lard Park was Southern to begin with. I think she's from she Texas. Actually, yeah, it comes out. It makes an appearance. The only thing that doesn't make an appearance is a Texas wedge haircut. It's grown out. <laughs> But her mama's got a half mullet. <laughs> she does. It's it's a not very fun party in back and just not a, little, a great business just a little in front. Curly Q tail in the back. <laughs> She's her hair is kind of like a road you would see a, a car on in a car commercial. It's very curvy, <laughs> and it looks more exciting when you edit it together than when you just are driving along. It. Kill, 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 kill. Break, break, break. I'm Josh. And I'm Skinner. And we host PredictoCast. We watch the first 10 minutes of a film we know nothing about and then try to predict what happens next. We use an advanced algorithm to ensure the most accurate predictions imaginable. 
Uh, not really. We mostly make predictions about werewolves showing up or if dogs will talk. New episodes are released every Thursday. You can find us wherever you download podcasts or at predictocast.com. We, we predict, predict you're, you're going to love it. Kill, 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 kill. Break, 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 break. Before we get that scene with Tina and the therapist, there's also the scene where we introduce to the women who are on the recliner in the chairs and they're in their like two pieces and melissa is introduced right and she says her one line that is you know in the trailer there goes the neighborhood yes. and we immediately get telegraphed oh she's the bitch yes. and i don't think this i don't think the friday the 13th movies up until this point had a quote-unquote bitch no they we've didn't. had no. joker characters and we've had uh, people who like sex, and we've had stoners, but we have yet to have a singular bitch. And obviously, up until this point. and obviously, this character was written by a straight man who did not understand how to write a good sort of female villain because her like examples of bitchiness throughout the movie are just kind of pathetic. Yeah, y- yeah, and I definitely getting. I, I almost immediately got flashbacks of Part Four where. All of these people staying in this cabin together seem like they were forced to do it at gunpoint. Yeah. Like, n- like none of them seemed... I mean, they're all there for this surprise party. For yeah, Michael. For, for, for Michael. And none of them seem like they would even want to go to a grocery store together. There's so much... Not even, you know, you know restrained hostility. Just open hostility between these characters. And just right. like, yeah, let, let, let's put all these people that clearly hate each other, you know, together in a cabin for a weekend for a guy's birthday party. Isn't that right. fun? That, that sounds fun. And I'm thinking about my life right now. And I'm like, who would I go to a cabin? in new jersey for for their birthday i wouldn't even do that for my boyfriend <laughs> yeah i mean i it would certainly i would definitely have to go over that guest list several times that yeah no i'm not i'm not staying in an isolated cabin in in, in camp blood with these people yeah no i'm surprised half of them don't leave when they see each other when they cross the threshold yeah and melissa obviously was promised nick's ass when she arrived <laughs> because she acts like she owns it Listen, um, I don't blame her. If someone, maybe that would be a reason to hike it up in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> We're not given a. An, it would be nice to have some serious female gazing going on. Right. Here. I would respect the movie more if they said, Nick's the hot guy. Let me show you this hot guy. I'm down for that. Let's have our first scene be him with the short shorts and no shirt on. Where's our Steve Miner butt shot for Nick? Exactly. Hello? <laughs> Come on. <sighs> Let's see what that booty do, but no. <laughs> no, we're getting we get to see Melissa and her crazy hat. Her her uh Bru- her Bruce Willis as Bruno sunglasses. And her daddy's pearls. oh that's staying that might be mentioned over and over again um (laughs) and yeah and her micro bikini uh just i wanted to make a pearl necklace joke but i decided against (laughs) (laughs) she's just seething with hatred at the fact that nick goes over and helps uh, Tina with her luggage, which pops open psychically. <laughs> they got a meet cute. 
he just like automatically starts helping her trying to be just like a nice guy and of course she's going to have underwear in her suitcase but she acts like it is like the greatest violation that he is like helping her with the suitcase it's not like he i feel like i'm a nick apologist all of a sudden but it's not like he's like fondling this underwear in some sort of seemly way he's just like helping her get her clothes and she's like oh how dare you yeah, it's not like he picks it up, smells it, and then says, is this yours? Which, no, if this would have been Crispin Glover playing Nick, <laughs> that totally is what would have happened. Yeah, I, I feel like that the, the the movie initially tried to set her up as sort of a uptight, kind of you know, virginal character. And then like when he shows up again, they kind of like, yeah, all right, sure, I'll go to this party with you. Guy I was just freaking out with because he saw my underwear earlier. We're, we're now getting to the point where Friday the 13th has, be, is, has already commented upon itself, and now it's going to fall into what it feels the audience wants. Oh my god, in that scene it. when he comes to invite her to the party, he returns the clothes. He is handing her a pink shirt that looks exactly like the pink shirt she's wearing. Yeah, how could you tell them apart? <laughs> he also calls himself an asshole for helping somebody. Right. It's because like, you reached, it's not like he went immediately for the underwear and said, oh, oh, oh you'll get this back later. <laughs> Take this as my, as my reward. <laughs> uh, I'll be using these from now on. Yeah. It's, it's a real awkward thing. Uh, I want, I just want to say for the record, in my heart, I love this movie. Me too. It's, it's not great. It, I I just I, I I really after after part six, I, I hate that, that we are immediately forced back into dealing with characters that are gen, generally terrible people that you just oh, yeah. e- eagerly wait to see die. I think it's trying to combine a Carrie and a Friday the Thirteenth film structure. I, I think there's a point to it. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's successful, but it is trying to set up. Here are some awful people, and here's this one really nice guy. Right. Who's caught in the middle of it, right? And he's attracted to this girl who seems somewhat broken inside, and he just wants to show her a good time. With dreamy eyes because- and legs like a Clydesdale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And so, because there, there's a legit attempt, as opposed to like part five, where it's just, here's some gross people who live in Grossville. Well, what I appreciate about this movie, too, and I think you guys have said this in like an earlier podcast, but it's like a time capsule for the 1980s, too. Yeah. And this is like peak 1987, 80s. And it's just, it's just sort of, I, I think I like this movie. For all its un- for all the unconscious reasons, <laughs> for all the sort of like unintentional reasons, like I, as awful it is as it is, I love the fact that I get to witness Susan Blue's atrocious hairdo and get to see it from all these different angles. We meet two randos in a van. It has to be like the cheapest looking van we've seen so far in a Friday the Thirteenth movie or in Prom Night. That was a fucking van. <laughs> this is kind of like that was a hoopty van this is a yeah. <laughs> this is held up by duct tape and good intentions <laughs> it's got a nice uh paint job and that's about it this is the first time we ever see a cd player in a friday the 13th movie so check that off your list we don't hear any i don't know what music is playing out of that cd player but it makes felony look like fucking kiss <laughs> it's yeah there's a terrible. lot of there's a lot of like weird like sort of new wave synth music but like faux new wave synth music i i noticed that during a scene when when 
when Tina and her mother shows up at the cabin and everybody's sunbathing, I'm like, okay, that's some vague sort of, I don't know, not even not even Depeche Mode, just sort of like that that like mid mid eighties sort of uh, like I said, like a like a almost like a Kajagugu type of thing. Mm. Yeah, it's it's kind of got this like what you would hear as library music if someone on a on an hour long TV show on NBC had to go to an aerobic studio. <laughs> exactly, jazzercise. Yeah, it's it sounds like upbeat music, but not that sort of vibe we don't know these people's names we see a lot of his back and if you wanted to see what i look like in high school this fucking guy is me in high school wow just me just with a bonier weirder longer face oh patrick every rude thing i wanted to say about this guy now i can't no 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 you can (laughs) absolutely it'll it'll probably ring true i feel like he's like playing the lesser tony goldwin part like the unknown guy that's <laughs> yeah. sort of like the hub. Only They're he doesn't. They're all unknown guys, with the exception of Nick. I mean, it's just a whole host of them. Only he doesn't. Well, he's the one sort of like the Tony Goldwyn in the in part six was like the head guy that everyone was like waiting on. He's like the guy that everyone was waiting on. It's like this waiting for Godot thing almost. Where, <laughs> and yeah, he just has zero charisma. Unlike you, Patrick. Oh, it's. When you don't see my face, that's when the charisma really comes out. Uh, we then go back inside the cabin. Tina is in her dad's office, I guess. And we see a picture, a very awkward picture of him on the wall wearing a jacket and a choo-choo train conductor's hat. This is adorned with the worst cobweb ever thrown up against the wall. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was, that, was ho- that was some Halloween adventure shit right there. I mean, are people using that as a haunt while they're gone? What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> no one hit that with a fucking feather duster? It's insane. Y- yeah, I mean, I guess they got the hell out of Dodge as soon as that, that dock collapsed because they left all the family pictures up and, and everything, all their belongings behind and apparently not come back in 10 years. And they escaped across county lines and they were never held accountable for his death. They just chalked it up to another one that the Voorhees family got. Uh, that it's the fam- hand of God. And by <laughs> God, we mean Jason. Uh, and the other really insane part of that office is there is a gigantic goddamn train on his desk. Did he pick that up from the county store from part three? <laughs> what is it with trains and people in this fucking town, Gina? We never see a train, but people are obsessed with them. I, I guess they just, you know, when you, when you have, uh, like I said, again, falling back on, on growing up in small town New Jersey, there wasn't a lot to do. I, I could definitely see where, where model railroading you know, m- might be a, 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 you know, a, an, interest, an interesting way to pass the, the, the interminable time. But to own a hat like that and then to say, please take this photo. And like, I like that photo of me in that childish choo-choo hat so much. Let's frame it and hang it on the and wall. And you know it would be his profile pic too if he had Facebook <laughs> at the time. Do you think he? Do you think he went enough? He went all the way and had the overalls. I hope so. I, I deeply hope so. Would we say that Tina's dad, Daddy, would have been a Trump supporter? Ah, you know it's hard to say. He could have been a self-hating liberal. He could have been one of those people who's apolitical just because he doesn't want to consider other people. You never know. It's possible. I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, once you start drinking and hitting people, you go into you're an asshole territory. So, like, I'm not going to put it past him. But I don't know that I necessarily peg him just because he layers awkwardly. 
<laughs> wears childish hats. Most of the people I, mean, the childish I know hat who thing, love I think, trains is what... love Trump. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, we get a shot here now that Tina's really thinking about how her dad died. We now go under the water to where Jason is. He's been here all along. We get some more psychic bubbles. He's still wearing those shitty gloves, but now they have semi-skeleton hands. But the utility belt is gone. I think it's worth it for his utility belt being gone. Maybe there were some snacks in it and the fish ate it. I was going to say the, the fish kind of gradually nibbled away at it. But she makes him pop up when she thinks about dad because they're both violent assholes. And is, that, is that what it's supposed to be? I, it's almost she, like she can see through the water now and she like well, sees something in the out water. out to him, I think. And, and re- recalling this, she's reaching out to where he was and the dock is is half of what it used to be reaching out to that and he just jason happens to be there he gets in the way of her psychic torpedo and then zim zam zim he pops up to the surface and she immediately gets a case of the vapors <laughs> does, does she break the chain with her mind or does he break it because if he could break it after being skeletonizing over the past 10 years why couldn't he because that, that was a, a point of contention i had in the last episode was that despite being able to you know snap people in half and rip arms out of their sockets he could not break through this like auto shop chain she definitely the chain pops as a result of her whammy oh okay zing zanging it she wiggles her nose or does that genie <laughs> box whatever whatever thinks, the she thing. thinks really hard she then yeah collapses uh bad news cruise and mom come on out retrieve her and then they have this weird tete-a-tete in the living room where dr cruise is like you know this thing about how you killed your dad you're super guilty about most people should be guilty about the people they kill. Dude, I don't know how this is going to help you get her on Oprah, but <laughs> okay. And then she's like, but my dad didn't rise out of the lake. Just a man rose out of the lake. And he's like, oh, come on. Now, wait a second. You're trying to prep this psychic for your personal X-Men group of one, but you don't believe that a man popped out of a lake because she gave it the whammy. where is the line of disbelief for this guy do we i had a question do we get that maybe he was like playing some sort of like game because at the end because sort of like midway through the movie we find out he stole the spike so he like is he kind of knows about the jason figure but he he sort of like and i keep getting mixed signals from the movie he's definitely gaslighting her Yes, for sure. And he's trying to play it so that he can have control of her. If he can prove that she's killed more people, she then gets put back under his control in the hospital. The thing that's holding back his having complete control of her at the hospital is her mom. So that's where this this little play comes into it. Uh, yeah, uh, whether or not that's a successful idea or like he's really thought it out, Bad News Cruise is just not completely a great thinker. That. Like the various camp counselors and, and police, he's very bad at his job. I don't know if the movie is trying to hide the fact that he is up to no good. If they are, they are doing a terrible job at it. Again, I'm not sure why... It, up to a certain point, Tina's mom just looks upon everything he says as, well, you're the doctor. You know, spend the whole weekend with us out here in this isolated country house and force my child to relive what she accidentally killed her father over and over again. That that You're the expert. You went to school for this. Yeah, but the again, it's not a huge shocking twist when he turns out to have you know, sinister ulterior motives. 
Uh, so we now then cut to rando couple number two. These people actually get names, but only when you look them up. Uh, the guy's name is Michael. He's the cousin everyone's throwing a birthday party for. And then we have Jane, his girlfriend, who looks like every girl who sang in a music video in 1987. Every single one. She's a big fan of Tiffany. <laughs> There's there's a lot of she's been to mall some mall culture going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like a mall given two legs. See, and but I think also that like that is a look that really took off in country music, and I think it it just lasted throughout the '90s like that look. Like from behind, Jane looks like circa 1992 Reba McIntyre. <laughs> you put some rhinestones on that denim, and she's the sweetheart of the rodeo. <laughs> She certainly is. Uh, and so she reveals to him after chiding him about whether or not he's kept royal, uh, regular oil keep up of his car, uh, <laughs> that the reason why they have to get to the cabin tonight is because there's a fucking birthday party in your honor. And now you've ruined it, you son of a bitch. Uh, these two people have a great chemistry with one another. And by great, great chemistry, I mean, they may have gone to chemistry class together they don't look like they've ever touched private parts or have ever met one another before they started filming she acts like she wouldn't touch him to scratch him <laughs> yeah she her, uh, her her she just has one expression which is disgust she's basically that that character from inside out given a denim jacket and life <laughs> now tina gets invited to this person's birthday party which should be fantastic what a great time uh, meanwhile, we cut back to Michael. Michael is wearing three fucking shirts. Oh my god. Three and, shirts. He's... And still complaining about how cold he is. He's wearing a t-shirt. He's wearing a button, a, a regular two-button polo, and then a complete button-up shirt. And jeans. And is complaining about how cold it is in the New Jersey summer night fuck you movie. <laughs> god damn it. Why can't anyone grasp the concept i don't want to watch cold people unless it's supposed to be a cold location does, does, don't does that, complain about it does that do you, do you think that's to make them seem more vulnerable because i think this is at least the third movie in this series in which it is frequently mentioned how cold everybody is well that and also like storms right they always have storm, some sort of this this movie doesn't have a storm i don't think no right? no. no but, but the one no. but like the three before this, I think, had like storms that blew up. Yeah, I mean, part one definitely has a storm. Part two has a passing storm. The third act, we don't really get it, but it's a big part of act two. Part three, we got a wind storm. It's not a rainstorm. Part four, wind and rain up the wazoo. Oh my God. Part five, we get so much rain. They poured everything they had into the rain budget. And, and not the script. Sure, <laughs> not the script. And, and all the leather goods for the, the, the two guys who are humping one another, but they can't make their car work. <laughs> our, our proposal is that the, no one complains that much about somebody else unless blowjobs are involved. Well, We're pretty sure those two are fucking. Well. Um, and so this one, yeah, the, the storm is the psychic storm of Tina. We don't get that trope so much. At least, I mean, I watch the movie in sections. I don't remember one, so... I'll put that up as a caveat. So it, it's playing around with some of the tropes here. We get a little bit of part four. We get a little bit of part two. We get a little bit of part six. It's it's picking and choosing what it wants and then moving it up one year. 
Um, so Jason emerges from the lake and the first thing he does is go five miles out of town, according to the sign, and find these two fucking people on their way to the cabin that he just emerged out of the lake from. Well, he needs to, like, walk around a bit and loosen up his joints. That's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, and one thing you can say about Jason, like, when you say that he's big boned, you're not really saying, it's not a euphemism for him being fat. I mean, the guy has just got big bones. I mean, they just, like, poke out it's almost like he's wearing a bone suit over like a human body <laughs> almost i mean it's pretty much what he is doing though <laughs> the, the stunt man underneath there is wearing a bone suit i, 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 just, I just feel like with like his exposed rib cage and spine that really when he walks he should be making a whistling sound right our critter should be like crawling up in that but really it, it just looks a little bit like foam Oh yeah! Again, just like the the uh, the cobwebs in uh, in Tina's dad's study, this looks straight up like something you'd buy like a spirit Halloween store. Just you know, yeah. leave it laying on your front lawn next to the 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 garbage bag. Looks like a jack o' lantern. So yeah, Michael goes off to pee because it can't be a Friday the Thirteenth movie unless we see somebody go into the bathroom. He'll be back in two shakes. He says <laughs> two shakes. We don't hear which each of the shakes occur, but we do know that he finishes. But too late because while he's gone jason has crept up silently as a person waterlogged as he is <laughs> yeah how do you not smell him coming from just like like no one can smell him coming ever Gina. <laughs> we've been saying this now I mean, just, for just, 31 just, episodes i actually have a theory about this i think it's because of all the hairspray they use it like neutralizes the odor <laughs> it has to be i mean just just imagine just just ponder just the stench, the, 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 the actual visible stink lines that should be rising off of him. He should be followed everywhere by a cloud of flies. Like who that. have voices. <laughs> by, by comedians who also have podcasts. That would be perfect. <laughs> or, just, or just like 10,000 Gilbert Gottfrieds. <laughs> I keep the image of like Pigpen from Peanuts. Exactly. Just a cloud of stench. So, meanwhile, uh, Jane gets stabbed through the back of her head or neck. This death perplexes me. Like, he stabs her in the back of the neck, it looks like. But then, when we see her again, has he taken the blade out and then stabbed her again through the front to pin her to the tree? Is that what Yes. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. This is a a classic Jason Voorhees interior-exterior decorator move. (laughs) Where he's killed somebody one way and then repositioned them for display. I admire Jane's neck. The tree's helping a little bit. But uh, she's also breathing and her eyes twitch the entire time. Because she's been asked to do something that normal humans cannot do. Which is look dead for longer than ten seconds. But her eyes are rolled so we know that she's dead. Yeah, that's how you know. That's how you can tell. Otherwise you would never know. Uh, He grabs the spike out of where he's uh, thunked her into. And manages to throw this piece of metal across a forest like he's fucking Robin Hood and <laughs> spike Michael in the back of the of his back, uh, right in the spine. He tries to crawl away, and yet again, Jason, the Voorhees family forearms come into play as he lifts Michael up off the ground and then just tosses him woo away. <laughs> Be gone, spirits. Happy birthday, Michael. <laughs> R.I.P.D. Michael and Jane, we barely knew you. You can't take care of a car and you're disgusted all the time. You will be missed by someone who isn't us. <laughs> and that pretty much does it for this particular episode. That means it's everyone's favorite game show time. It's Choose Your Own Death Venture, where we decide 
of the of the deaths that we talked about in this episode if we were forced to endure one which one we would choose and why and so up for bid today are die via psychic torpedo and crash into a lake to never be seen again until the end of the movie then we have jane getting stabbed in the back of the neck throat mouth and then pinned to a tree or you can have michael who gets the tent spike to his spinal column and then tossed away like yesterday's garbage and so nick i turn to you as our guest here which one would you choose well I think I have to go because if I've got to go, I want to go quickly. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Jane goes the fastest. I feel like I don't want to drown. And I feel that's how Daddy Shepherd died. But like, if you got a blade, if I got a blade in the back of my neck and it like punctured all the way through, I'm out like a light. And I don't want to have to run from Jason and have him like spike me and then still be half alive like some roach half caught on the bottom of his shoe (laughs) like if i'm going out i want to go out like fast yeah so i think i that's a very uh common reaction to the idea of death now keep in mind you're also gonna be found wearing that jacket i think that's a plus not a minus (laughs) okay can i get a Uh, can i get the perm too no God no, that's it. where I draw the line. God I make it. the rules of the game because I run the game. You get the jacket and you like it. All right, Gina, uh, what say you? Uh, you know, not, none of these deaths were, were great deaths. I mean, it, it, I feel like with a tent spike, he just kind of you know, was sort of wandering around, spotted it on the ground. You know, if he had spotted a rusty tin can lid, he probably would have just picked that up too. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you, you know me. I, I always I always tend to pick the quick deaths too. So I, I'm probably going to go ahead and... Uh, and, and and take Jane's way out too. Uh, I think Jane is really the only way to go. It's fast, and also you get displayed afterwards, and you aren't found wearing three shirts, <laughs> layered, like that's normal. Like that's how normal people dress, which is not not then, not now. Don't wear three shirts. <laughs> it's not okay. It's it's a wonder that the the tent spike didn't just bounce off his back from all the I, uh, layers of clothing. That's right. There's so many layers of cotton. The amount of force I to will get that say, spike to travel through there. <laughs> I will say, inhuman. though, as lame as these three deaths are, this movie does have one of my favorite deaths in the series, and that's the sleeping bag death. Yes. It's it, an all-timer. That is well, just it, great. Yeah, it, it, it has one of mine, too, Which, but mine is the party favor in the eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's just, that's just such a clever use of... It's, it's a much more clever use of whatever happens to be on hand than throwing a tent spike at someone. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're warming up here. I mean, it's the first two Jason deaths. They're not spectacular, but he's building up to it. And I, I, I feel like this is more successful at its use of both gore and magic tricks than part six. Part six has a, it's a lot of in shadow work. Here we get a lot more visceral attitude to it, which makes sense because John Carl Buchler, you know, made his name as a special effects artist. So that's why he was hired on here. Um, you know, I don't know that they're ever going to do better than part four or part two in that department, but hey, what are you going to do? So uh, on that downer, <laughs> uh, <laughs> need a little let's... work my ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let us, uh, let us talk about Nicholas. Where, where can, 
now you have a book out. Why don't you tell people uh-huh. where to find it and what it's about? At any great uh, booksellers out there, any fine mm-hmm. bookseller establishment, your Amazons, your Barnes and Nobles. It is about a gay to straight conversion camp gone wrong. Not that anything like that could ever go right, but <laughs> yeah, and it's out now. Uh, check it out. Um, you can also follow me on Nick White 1985 on Twitter. And it's how to survive a summer. Yeah, how right? to survive a summer with uh, Blue Rider Press, which is an imprint of Penguin and Random House. Excellent. Check it out, people. I implore you do it today gina where can people find you on the internet i write about 70s and 80s television at tuneintonight.wordpress.com all righty people check it out okay if you want to reach out to us there's a couple different ways to do it you can do it on twitter at kill by kill pond you have something longer to say longer than 140 characters uh chiding us about something that we forgot i please talk to us please remind us of things that we forgot but understand we are not Friday the 13th experts. Please just... uh, please understand that we're going to continuously refer to Terry Kaiser as Terry Crews throughout this entire fucking run of this yeah. movie. It's Every gonna episode is going to happen. Just deal with it. It's going to happen. Just and go with I it. can't tell them apart. And Maddie is little person. Maddie Dumplin. Can we get that? <laughs> <laughs> and pearl necklaces. It's, it all starts here. I'm keeping notes because this is how they're going to be referred to from this moment on uh let's say you want visual proof that this podcast exists go and find us on instagram at kill by kill podcast uh and hey we love you guys uh we tried to make the funniest greatest horror movie comedy podcast we possibly can you know how you could reward us not with money and not with time you're already giving us your time but what you could do is give us some digital words on itunes if you could give us a five-star review and some kind words about us we would appreciate it from our heart if you tell us what your favorite friday the 13th film is and uh your favorite kill We'll talk about it right here on the air. That's our solemn promise to you, the Kill by Kill listener. And with that said, it uh, you know the body count will continue next time, people. Uh, for myself, Patrick Hamilton, for Gina and Nick. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.